Is that rain? Oh, mic check. Can you guys hear me okay? All right. Come on, tell me if you're doing good tonight, man. After that worship, gee, every time my, my nose get runny after we do worship, man. I think it happens more so when I know I have to teach. <laughs> well, let me start with prayer tonight. Father God, it's interesting the, the kind of, basically the word Austin was saying, that word surrender is just resonating in my heart too, Lord. That is the key, Lord, to surrender. We wave the white flag and give it all to you. And I surrender tonight, Lord. Just everything in me, Lord, let it not be in the way. But I pray that the hearts that are in this room, Lord, may just be surrendered as well, Lord. And um, just to receive what you have for us in your word. I don't know. I don't know what every heart is dealing with. There's so many things that they could be coming in with, Father God. And I just think you've, as we were worshiping, you just gave me a weight for whatever they may be going through in this room. So I just pray for them. Meet them where they're at, Lord. Not through fancy words that I have to say, but through your word, your power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, listen, I had, I swear, because I know Austin always calls people out. He's like, okay, if you got to, if you say, like, your message is going to be shorter, that must mean you, you planned later, you know, in the evening, and you just popped it up day of, right? <laughs> so here was, these were my notes right here from this past week. Three, like, pages of my plan that I was going to brutally put you guys through tonight, okay? And, and I just, I believe the Lord, like, I toiled, I, under, I think I finally understood what it means to have to toil and really find and figure out what are they hungry for, Lord? What do you want them to hear um, what in this passage hits them right where you want to hit them, Lord? How, what can they take away? How can they be fed tonight? And he gave me like half the page. So praise the Lord. Yeah, so we can clap for him for that. Yeah. <laughs> so praise the Lord. Uh, I'm hoping to make it quick tonight, but I just want to be straight to the point. Um, and I want to start with a quote. You're going to be in Mark 9. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of us will get to you. If I need to get to you, I'll, I'll throw it, whatever I need to. Mark 9, as, as you may know, if, if you haven't been here for a while, just coming, uh, we've been going through the Mark series, going through the Gospels, and just really, really, I think David, Josh, and Lord willing, hopefully myself, have been doing a good job at attaching you to how important Jesus is through this Gospel story. I'm going to start with a quote here by John Owen, because tonight... We're going to experience and continue worship and seeing the glory of Christ through this passage. That's the goal, is the glory of Christ. And John Owen says, One of the greatest privileges the believer has, both in this world and for eternity, is to behold the glory of Christ. One of the greatest privileges the believer has, both in this world and for eternity, is to see the glory of Christ. And so, to unpack where we're starting out here, Mark 8 and 9, just the context here is that we're trying to push three main things in Mark 8 and 9. Jesus must suffer, he must die, and he must resurrect. 
Okay, that's the whole point of what the author desires the reader to understand in these two chapters. Okay, and I'm going to break it down as we go, and what I want you to catch is the symbolism. There's a lot, a lot. That's why it kind of took me a lot this week to really figure out what is this. I think David set me up to this one. That's what it was. I was like, where do I even start? So ditch the notes, start with these notes. Um, But we're going to start with verse 1, and I'll just unpack the symbolism as we go. So starting with verse 1, chapter 9, and he said to them, assuredly, speaking to the disciples, assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And all I want you to understand at this point, because it could be confusing, is that Jesus is declaring something, and now in the next verse, we're stepping to that declaration, okay? Stepping to that declaration, because a lot of the rebuttals I hear in the world today is this never happened, okay? But what is here is just open. It's right here. It's in our faces. Like if it was a centipede, it would have bit us on our nose, okay? It's right here. He says, standing here. There are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Straight into verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and don't get confused about those guys. We could say they're special, but sometimes I like to think, hey, maybe the Lord just wanted to keep them close. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe they were kind of like the bad boys, you know? He's just like, mm, I'm going to keep them by me. But we, we could say they're special too if you want. Peter, James, and John. So he took them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. That word transfigured, it's like metamorphos. It's just the idea that he literally was standing there. And then in the next moment, it's as if he's unveiling, peeling back away who he is so that his glory is now revealed. That's pretty amazing. Whoo, hallelujah. His clothes became shining. And I love that word shining. Keep that because there's a reason why the writer is declaring Jesus first before Elijah and Moses. Okay, his clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as a launderer on earth, uh, no launderer on earth can whiten them. I don't know if they had launders at that time, but I know I've been to one. And yeah, they can make it pretty white. It makes me think like it's so bright. You know when you guys are driving down the road at night, like trying to come back to Kilauea from in town, and somebody's got that new car, that new whatever it is. I I feel like Jeeps nowadays, LEDs, whatever the light is, and you're like, I might just die right now, Lord. (laughs) You know, so and like I'm just trying to focus on that white line. Like get me through this, Lord. Like that's how white, bright appearing it was to these guys. And I'll continue here in verse 4. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. What's really amazing here is Elijah and Moses, but I don't want to get away from the fact that Jesus is shining bright. Okay, this is to say because for the first century Jew, they would look at this like, wow, it's happening The coming is here. Bring it on. Like, let's go. He's about to take over. Right? Because what they saw was Elijah was like the the prophets. He stood for the prophets. Moses stood for the law. 
heard, even in that time, they would just call it Moses. Like the law was that intently focused on him. So you have Elijah standing for the prophets, Moses standing for the law. But what I want to remind us here tonight, why Jesus is shining so bright, exceedingly bright, as the focus is that he's the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. Okay? Amazing. He's the fulfillment of that. And so, what happens here is they're talking. Jesus is talking with Elijah and Moses. And you ever wonder what they were talking about? Well, in Luke 7, it tells us they were talking about his decease. They were talking about his departure. Somebody, so his death. Interesting that that would be the conversation happening between them. Yeah? Um, and then what you have here is Peter in the midst of them just sees what's going on. <laughs> He was like, oh my gosh, I got to do something. But what I don't want to say is, like I know Peter gets um, chalked up as kind of like a numbskull in a lot of ways, right? He just kind of does before he thinks kind of thing. But I, I want to kind of hold back for a second and say like, oh, I think maybe Peter was kind of doing his due, due diligence. What did he desire to do? He wants to build a tabernacle for them, right? He wants them to stay. Peter desires that they would stay. Why? Because of what I just mentioned a minute ago, right? The first century Jew, they believe this is it. This is the time. It's going down. Please stay. How can we make you feel comfortable, Lord? How can we make you feel comfortable, Moses, Elijah? Because it's coming down. But what happens, let's continue here, um, in verse 5. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll just keep reading there from 5. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And seven, here's where I want to continue here. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. I think this is all to point to something. Okay? I'm trying not to overthink this passage that I see here. But clearly, you know, we see these guys elevating Moses, Elijah with Jesus. And what happens is the response from the Lord. And he speaks and all that we see here left is Jesus. I love that Jesus didn't decide to go back. <laughs> he was like, nah, yeah, I think I'm done. I think I'm just going to skip the whole suffering part, right? No, he decides to be left with them, right? And I think, again, the whole picture I'm trying to drive towards tonight is that the suffering had to happen. The suffering had to happen. You see, like I said, the first century Jew, they thought that first coming, that suffering of Christ, was, wasn't existing they saw the second they saw coming in power they saw coming in might they saw redeeming them from their situation where they're at right but this is all unfolding slowly as to say that the son of man must suffer that's why jesus was talking to moses and elijah about it and that's why soon we're going to see he talked to the disciples about it but i don't want to skip too far without really encouraging us tonight like what when I look at this, what 
do we take away from this? And I don't want you guys to go away tonight, walking out of this room tonight, without really understanding the glory of Jesus Christ. I think I see him on too many chains, too many cross necklaces, too many things in our culture, like, like in too many rap songs that just like you see that chain flying and the cross is flying and it's like what does that even mean do you do we understand what that really means and so i just want to i want to reiterate the suffering of christ tonight but his glory do we see the glory of jesus rather than just the man so again we must not think of jesus as if his name has no value to us Because clearly, God says here, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Imagine, like what they were receiving at that time. Like hear him. Because who were they hearing at that time? Right? Other rabbis, other teachers, other leaders. So many. How do I really understand who this Jesus is? How do I understand who this Messiah is? Is. And could I say, like, even nowadays, do you ever fall into that? Like, how, how do I really understand, like, who he is? There's so many people leading me this way, maybe leading me this way. This is how we see and know who he is. It's through his word we see his glory revealed here. And so as we dig in who he is and his glory, I just want to encourage you to see him in your life his glory revealed in your life, in your family. Like, we're about to step into the sacrifice of Christ. We're about to step into the suffering of Christ, the patience of Christ. And we see here again the glory of Christ. Can you see Jesus in your family? Can you see his sacrifice in your relationships with your spouse, with those guys on the ranch, with people you're working with? Can you see Jesus in your daily life? Personally, you, can you see him, his glory revealed, and his sacrifice even revealed through you in your daily life, in your pain even, and in your hurt? Can you see him? Can you see Jesus in your gifts and talents? Can you see Jesus in your message to the world? My key question I want to ask you guys tonight is, does Jesus change everything in you or does everything in this world change Jesus in you? Again, does Jesus change everything in you? I've been harping on this last time I talked too, and I just want to reiterate again. Does Jesus change everything in you or does everything in this world just change Jesus in you? Okay. Let's continue on. Um, in verse 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one uh, the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. We were talking about this before. Imagine being told, zip it. Okay, you saw all this? Let's not, let's not tell nobody. Okay, like I can't imagine seeing the Pharisees, seeing people come at him like, you don't want to mess with this guy. You know, that's what I want to say. Like he's the real deal, Right? but they were told not to because there was a right time. There was a patience in what Christ wanted to do. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. 
I'm going to go back there, but I want to finish it out here. And they asked him, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered them and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. That's where we're going to finish tonight. But what I wanted to go back to again at that uh, end of verse 10 there was they discussed what the rising from the dead meant. So this is, again, what I wanted to explain to you guys tonight. Their focus was on the second coming. They're expecting Jesus coming in power. He's telling them, no, I must come to suffer first. Why? Because if he comes in power, how are we made righteous? How are we made into a place where we can be in God's kingdom? Right? We would be left behind. His sacrifice must come first so that sinners could be washed and worthy for the kingdom. That's the goal here, for the kingdom of the second coming, okay? So, what I want us to think about here is not the confusion of how the verses is flowing, but just the idea this chapter is just showing the first and second coming in one chapter. Okay? Can everybody kind of agree with me there? It's really depicting, showing, highlighting what the first and second coming is supposed to look like as Jesus is talking to his disciples. And so in verse 12, when he says, Indeed, when he responds, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things, that's coming from the question that they asked, right? They're like, isn't Elijah supposed to come first? Isn't this what it was supposed to be like? They were probably referring to Malachi chapter 4. You could write that down, look at it later. But Jesus responds most likely with the passage that comes from Isaiah 53 that he must suffer first. Okay, so he's explaining to them this step-by-step process. And then even at the end there, when he says, but I say to you that Elijah has also come, who is John the Baptist referred to as? Coming as Elijah, right? So I just, again, wanted to break down this passage in a simple way that you could understand, okay, this is what's happening. He's just describing what the first and second coming is going to look like. But my question still remains for us tonight. Who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to you? We've seen him in glory through this passage. We see that he's coming in the future. We see that his sacrifice had to happen first for us and for these people so that there may be a washing of sin so that we can be made worthy for God's kingdom. And I want to start with this saying, this quote from John Piper, which says, the ultimate difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom is how they relate to the glory of God's grace in Christ crucified. So the ultimate difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom is how they relate, how they understand the glory of God's grace in Christ crucified. See, these men were expecting power. These men were expecting overtake, overthrow. Boom, it's here and now. What Jesus is saying is, my glory comes in the sacrifice. My glory comes in the suffering so that my people can be with me. R.C. Sprawl said, we 
are secure, not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he, hold tight, he holds tightly to us. He broke the bondage of sin. What does that saying go? What is it? I think Austin told me this in the past. Um, he was like, he's like, does Jesus wear a chain? No, nah, man, he breaks chains, right? He broke the bondage of sin. And so I'm going to read that again. R.C. Sproul said, we are secure, not on our own accord, but because Jesus holds tightly to us, not because we hold tightly to him. So in light of that, in light of understanding, this is the gospel, this is the simplicity of it, redeemed us, saved us, so we can be united with him. What in this room do we do with that? So I want to take us, and I'm, I'm going to simply read this passage. I'm going to close with this and encourage you that, yes, I'll give you a little bit of knowledge tonight, leave you a little bit of deep thought, give you a little bit of um, scholarly information. But just remember, right, we learn for transformation, not for information. Okay? I gave you a lot of information tonight. <laughs> Hopefully I made it quick and painless. But we're learning for transformation and not just for information. And so, Colossians 3, 12 through 17 says this. We do know this. We have this glorious hope. We have this gospel story in us and through us and coming out of us for this reason that we may put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's what we're called to do in this time. There's plenty more I could go through, but I want to make time... Uh, let me see what time it is. What time it is? Perfect. Austin's, Austin, can please come up. We're just going to do a final song tonight. And I wanted to kind of finish a little quicker to give space for prayer. Give space for you guys to have fellowship, relationship. To really, really let the, the glory of the Lord start with your relationship with each other. As you pray for each other. As you welcome him in the room. As we sing. So let me start with prayer. Father God, um, Thank you for your word, and I thank you uh, for what you've done for us, where you've called us to be, the glory that we've seen revealed through you in this passage. And so I just pray, Lord, that that continues to stir up in us an excitement from the gospel, from this redemption, to be transformed to first know that you have us and to now be excited to live for you and, and to really encourage each other of who you are. 
I pray that everybody in this room, like I said, I know they have something. And just as I, as I glance and think about each person in this room, I know it's just the tip of the iceberg of what they must be going through right now. Uh, but Lord, I just pray that your glory is revealed through whatever they're going through. And that they can see you, Lord, first instead of their actions and what they want, might want to do. And that because of who you are and what you've done, they're excited to take that next step, no matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it might be, no matter how frustrating their next step step could be, no matter how many questions they might have in their next step. Lord, may they walk with glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, I just pray that um, we continue in worship through music, but then I want to welcome you to please stay a little longer to pray with somebody. Listen to what, who the Holy Spirit might even be putting on your heart to talk to, to pray for. Step out. Be, be courageous a little bit. Pray for somebody maybe you haven't seen. Amen?